Test, test.
Y'all been so quiet since you got in here. Uh, <laughs> welcome to First Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here. And um, I hope you got to enjoy the breakfast. A lot of the folks that are normally with us in this service were in the first service, I think. So I, I saw a lot of the familiar faces there. But we're glad you're here. You can look at the worship guide and see some of the different announcements. Just remember, next week um, will be the Christmas um, musical, and it's at 930. The next three weeks will all be combined services. So next week, com Christmas musical, and then combined, um, combined for Christmas Eve at 9.30 in the morning, and then on the 31st, we'll also have a time of worship, and we'll come to the Lord's table. So I'm looking forward to, to the Christmas season. We're glad that you're here. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? Make sure everybody knows you're glad that you're here today. You can be seated. We really are glad that you're here today. and just ask that you pray for me. I just, I've had some bronchitis, and you can hear it in my voice. Um, if you want a short sermon, I guess just don't pray for me today. But if you want to get a sermon, pray for me that God will bless my voice and help me get through this particular um, this time. But I'm glad that you're here and looking forward to this season. Let's pray together, and then we'll have an Advent reading. Father, we praise you. We thank you that we can gather and worship you. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us in your spirit to worship, that you would be pleased with what we do today and what we think and what we say and sing and how we act. Let us do it for you and for your glory and your glory alone. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Jesus is coming, shout for joy. Joy is a word we see and hear everywhere at Christmas. Joy to the world is the message of the season. Joy is the theme of this day. On the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the prophecy candle and remembered who spoke those words, the promise of the coming Christ child. Last week, we lit the Bethlehem candle, a symbol of the preparations being made to receive and accept the Christ child. The third candle on the Advent wreath is called the shepherd's candle. This candle helps us remember the first ones who joyfully shared the good news of the Savior's birth. This candle is a different color, reminding us that our period of waiting is half over. Luke 2, 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who had heard it wondered about what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Dear God, with joy and praise we acknowledge the signs that your kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. With joy we acknowledge that our help is in you. You are the maker of heaven and earth, our maker and remaker through the life and the death of the one born in Bethlehem. Through faith in him, grant us solid joy that lasts long and beyond this Christmas season. With joy, we commit ourselves to the proclamation of the good news. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's go ahead and stand up as we think about this Advent season. Um, I'm doing a devotional right now by Lifeway that's just been so beautiful and really has personally helped me keep my brain in the right direction and, and what we celebrate, especially these last weeks. But one of the things that really stood out to me this past week is the devotion was talking about how easy it is for us to be caught up in a lot of to-dos and decorating and all these different fun things that we do, but sometimes we can miss the real meaning of, of why we gather, and that's Christ has left the glory of heaven and came as a baby. And we know we'll celebrate Easter in just a few months, and he came to die. So we, we celebrate his first coming, but we're also remembering that he comes again. So let's sing together. We're so glad you're here. Um, let's open up the heavens. Let's honor Jesus as we worship him.
together.
just bow our heads. Let's make this our prayer. Let's adore the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's say it together. Oh, come let us Continue to pray. Father, it is in Christ's name we come today and we do want to adore you. We thank you for all you've done for us. We worship you. We give you praise and glory for who you are. In this season, as we remember that you came and announced the good news to us, thank you. And God, I pray that you would keep our hearts on the nations, even as we sang earlier that all the nations would shout with joy. We look forward to that day. Sometimes we wonder, could that day even come? But we know that your word tells us it is coming, so we long for that day. We pray for those in this room who are hurting pray for those who couldn't be with us today. We ask that you'd bless them and watch over them and bless the service. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look in the text in just a moment, but before we turn to Colossians 1, I want to turn your attention to the, turn your attention to the screen. Um, we have a video about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that I want you to see. We hear it in the voices of the hurting. We sense it in the brokenness of the world around us. Lostness is a blindness to the promise and hope of the gospel that leads to eternal separation from the Father. The world's greatest problem is lostness, and it's growing every day. Eight billion people living in 195 countries speaking over 7,000 languages. Today, more than half have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. The vision God gives us in Revelation 7-9, a multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we must be willing to go further than we've ever gone before, to the very edges of lostness, where more than 3,000 people groups have no missionary presence and likely no access to the gospel. No one is engaging them. Together, we can change that. We know the love and hope and peace of the gospel. We know the way, the truth, and the life. We know the power of true redemption. We will not ignore lostness. We will not be silent. We will not stand still. 
from the Great Commission until the Great Multitude. We must unite in this great pursuit to reach every nation, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, no matter the financial cost, no matter the physical cost, whatever it may cost us, we need to give so that the gospel can get spread. And I just want to remind you that every penny we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to the missionaries. Not one penny is kept for administration. Our goal is 105000 And um, we're too long right where we normally are at this time of the year. And I just want to ask you to please give to that offering and, and, and make sure that you are part of that. And then remember to pray for our missionaries. And then hopefully, even as we start the end of the year and start thinking about New Year resolutions and all those things, think about going on a trip next year where you can share the gospel somewhere else across the street or across the ocean. Let's pray together, and then we're going to read our text. Father, we thank you. Again, we ask that the gospel would spread and that people would hear your good news. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for allowing us to be born where we've been born, and we know that to whom much is given, much is expected. So help us to be faithful, we pray. Help us as we look at your word to understand it and to apply it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was given the note. Uh, a purse was left in the NPR during breakfast. If, um, if it was yours, it would be in the office at the end of the service. So it's already there, and you don't have to worry about it. It's over there. Um, Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at verses 21 through 23. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading and preaching of God's Word. Paul says, in you who were once who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So when you look at our text, you see in verses 10 through 12, he tells us how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, fully pleasing to him. In verses 13 through 14, we're told what the Father did for us. He, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And then in verses 15 through 20, he makes sure we understand who that son is. Who is it that, that, whose kingdom is it? Who is the one that redeemed us? And he tells us about Jesus. He says that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the creator, that Jesus is eternal, that Jesus is the sustainer, that Jesus is the head of the body, that he's fully God, and yet he makes full reconciliation. In our text, Paul continues that thought. In verses 21 through 23, you find in the original language one long sentence. And right in the middle of it, in verse 22, there's one main verb. And the main verb that drives everything that Paul says in our text today is he has now reconciled. This is what drives everything that Paul is saying. As we'll see, we were separated from God and we needed someone to bring us back into fellowship with him. We needed someone to reconcile us. 
It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 18, Paul tells us that if, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. But he goes on to say, and this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he continues to say that in Christ, God's reconciling the world to himself. So as we think about this Advent season, as we think about Christmas, Paul reminds us of why Jesus came to the earth. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. We start, as we look at this passage, three verses, three simple points. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these three points, I just want to tell you as he starts, I'll give you a warning. This is not Norman Vincent Peale, make you feel good about yourself kind of stuff, okay? You see, the Bible's not interested in you feeling good about your old self. The Bible wants you to see your old self for who you were, and that's the first point. He wants us to see what we were so that we can see how great is our salvation. What we were. Look at verse 21. And you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Just look at those words. And you. And you. It's easy to look at something like Advent, look at Christmas season, look at, look at what we're, we're studying and, 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 and get caught up in the big picture. O'Brien calls it the, 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 the cosmic scale of redemption. It's easy to get caught up in Jesus came to save the world, and that is true. But we need to remember that we were sinners. It's, it's easy to hear a sermon and say, man, oh, so-and-so sure didn't need to hear that and not apply it to ourselves. Paul's stopping for a moment, and he says, and you, and you, you were once, you were once. You see, if you are saved, everything I'm about to say in the next three points are in your past. But you need to hear this. For some reason this morning, you are not born again. If you've never been saved, then the next three points that you're going to hear, you need to listen carefully because this doesn't describe what you were. What I'm about to describe is what you are. And so Paul looks at it. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who have been born again. And he says, here are three things about what we were. If you're not saved, here are three things about what you are. First of all, he says, we were cut off from God. We were cut off from God, who once were alienated. We were alienated. It describes what we were. Not just every now and then. Not just at our worst moment. But at every moment of our life. We were out of relationship with God. We saw in verse 13 that we were under the power, under the domain of the evil one, under the domain of darkness. We were under the power of the enemy. Separated really isn't strong enough. We, we were at enmity with God. We were estranged from God. We were cut off from God. And here's the thing I want you to get with me this morning is, is that something had to happen in the past to condemn us. Something in the past happened that condemned us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12 
you find what it is. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hear this. You and I were given the sin nature of Adam when we were born. Adam represented all of humanity. He was the federal head of humanity. And when Adam fell, every person who followed him fell. You see, because of Adam's sin, we all have a sin nature. Now, that's why it's so vital for us when we think about the incarnation and we think about Christmas, we think about the nativity scenes, we remember that that baby was born of a virgin. Why is that so important? Because Jesus didn't receive the sin nature of Joseph. The sin nature is passed down through the man, through Adam. Jesus didn't receive a sin nature. He was born of the Holy Spirit. So he was born without a sin nature. He was therefore born perfect. You and I were born with a sin nature. The first Adam came to this world and failed. Paul tells us in Romans that Jesus is the second Adam. And he succeeded where Adam would not succeed. We're all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So hear me carefully today. You are, you sin because you are a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. We were given a sin nature through Adam. And even if that's not true, and I believe it is. Even if it's not, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're sinned by nature, and we're sinners by choice. We were cut off from God. We were enemies of God, secondly. We were enemies of God. He says, and you were hostile, hostile in mind. Now, I know that we, we think about this, and we say, now, wait a minute. Maybe... You're going too far. I, I, I realize I, I've sinned, but, but, but man, I'm, I'm not hostile to God. I was never hostile to him. I was a good child. I was a good man. I was a good boy. I want you to hear what he says. Hostile in mind. It's an adjective. And that adjective is, is the noun form is often used, in the, and it's used to describe Satan himself. So when he uses this word, it's a strong word. He, he's speaking of, of, of being hateful or even of hating. And I don't think any of us think of ourselves as hating God. We, we were never haters of God, we may think. But Paul says we're hostile in mind. We're enemies of God. It's hateful in our thinking, our our very disposition. Can you remember a time in your life that your disposition was not towards self and sin? No. Because our entire life, from the time we were born and grew old enough to understand right from wrong, we rejected right and chose wrong. And our very disposition was towards sin and not toward God. Romans 1.30 says that we were apart from God, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents. And he goes on and on and on. And he shows us that we're born in sin. And listen, born in sin and in sin did we meditate. Isn't it true? You grew up outside of Christ. You meditated on sin. You thought about how you could sin. You fantasized about sin. You were constantly thinking of how you could please yourself. That's all of us. Cut off from God. Enemies of God. Doing evil deeds. And this says we're, we're sinful in action. We're not just sin cut off from God, sinners by nature. We're not just enemies of God, sinners in thought. Paul says we're sinners in our actions. The outward sin is nothing more than a visible expression of our inward thoughts. Because we are sinners, because we dream about sin and think about sin, we, we act out on sin. Someone said, well, that just seems too strong. This seems too strong. Uh, maybe, maybe Paul is just being a little too strong here. I want to remind you that Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I would also remind you of what Jesus said. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It has not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That is what we were. We were cut off. We were enemies. We were alienated. Ephesians 2 backs this up. If you go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it backs up everything he says here, but Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God. I've told you before, those are two of the greatest words in the Bible. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I'm thrilled to move from what we were to how we were changed. What we were to how we're changed. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled us to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Again, I'll go quote to O'Brien. He's a commentator in Colossians. He said, The gravity of their previous condition serves to magnify the wonder of God's mercy. The gravity of the previous condition, looking at what verse 21 says, serves to magnify the wonder of God's mercy in verse 22. Paul loves to show us what we were so he can turn around and show us the greatness of the salvation in what we are in Christ. The verb, he has now reconciled. It shows us that for us to move from what we were requires a mighty act of God. If we were all what he just said, and it's true, if we were cut off and alienated in enmity with God, something had to happen, just as something happened in the past, Something had to happen to move us from that position to being a child of God. A mighty act of God had to move. God had to move. God, the offended one, moves on behalf of the ones who are offending so that the offenders could be reconciled with the offended. Did you get that? 
God the offender one moves on behalf of the ones offending so that those offending could be reconciled with the offender. How does he do it? Look what he says. In his body of flesh, by his death. In his body of flesh. He's saying in the body. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to a body prepared for him. Jesus, the Logos, the word that has always been, entered into a human body and grew on this earth, fully man, fully God. Jesus came, and in that body, living a perfect life, in that body, he was cross crucified. In that body, he shed his blood. In that body, he died so that we could be reconciled with him. God the Father moves through his Holy Spirit, and God moves in his holiness so that his demand for justice could be met. It was met. The demand of justice was met at the sacrifice of Jesus. We were condemned. We were condemned, but Paul says that we now have a glorious new status. We're no longer condemned. Now we're in Christ. We're in Christ. Once again, he takes us to three things. Just as he showed us three things about what we were, he shows us three things about who we are in Christ. And he tells us first, though, before we get to those three things, that he presents us. Where will he present us? A lot of debate about this, but I think it means that when we stand before God in the judgment, the Father will, will, stand, will stand before the Father. Jesus will present us this way. What he's about to say is that when we stand before God in judgment, at that moment, we will be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, these three things are true of us. So look at these three things. He says, first of all, we're holy. He has made us holy. We were separated from God because of our sin. But now we've been separated to God because of Jesus' righteousness. The holiness that our holy God requires is given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus on his death on the cross. We're not holy on our own, but Jesus makes us holy by putting us in him. Jesus makes us holy. And when we stand before God, I want you to get this today. Colossians 3.3 will be true of us. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know what that means? If you're in Christ... When you stand before the Father in judgment, the Father will not see you. He will see Jesus. He will see the holiness of Jesus. Because you've trusted in him, he's made you holy with the holiness of Christ. That's security, church. That we can come in Christ and be made holy, but not just holy, blameless. He makes us blameless. Now, this is incredible. I think all of us know that we're not holy as we should be, okay? We can look back over the last week and see things we said and things we did, and we realize we've not always done what we're supposed to do, even today. We've not been holy. We are certainly worthy of blame. You know, 
you get a ticket, and, and maybe you didn't do it that time, but you think, well, I got away with it a thousand other times, you know? Um, we, we know that we're, we're blamed. We, we, we have a reason to be blamed. But he says here, you're blameless. Jesus takes away the condemnation. He makes you holy. He makes you blameless. And, and these are words that are used of the animals and the sacrifice where the sacrificial system required an animal that would be blameless without spot. And then it's interesting that Paul in Ephesians says that God will present us without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Blameless. When you stand before God in Christ, you will be holy and you will be blameless. But he says something else. Get this word. It's unaccusable. I don't even know if that's a word. Miss Cain, is that a word? Unaccusable. She says it is. She's an English teacher. It's okay. Jesus makes us unaccusable. Satan, one weapon he has, and I told you this two weeks ago, is accusation. But he won't even be able to accuse you on the day of judgment. Why? Because you'll be in Christ. And all the sin that he brings up, Jesus has paid for. And all the things that he tries to cause you to go to hell because of, you understand this, <coughs> excuse me, that God has covered that with the blood of Christ. And so on the day of judgment, you will stand before the Father. <coughs> Please forgive me. You will stand before the Father in Christ. You will stand before the Father in Jesus' holiness. You will stand before the Father in Jesus' blamelessness. And you will stand before the Father unaccusable because you're in Christ. That's the hope that's laid up for us in heaven from verse 3. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He asks, Who is to condemn? Who is to separate? And he closes with, nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, we see what we were. We see how we're changed. But there's one more thing Paul gives us here. He gives us the evidence of change. The evidence of change. How can we know that we'll stand before God, blameless and holy, how can we know? How can we know? Look at what he says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If indeed you continue in the faith. Evidence of change. I want you to hear me before I say anything else in the next few moments. I believe that once you're truly saved, you're always saved. But I want you to hear me. Once you're truly saved, you're always saved. But you have to be truly saved to be always saved. And what we find in the Bible all the way through the scriptures, from the Gospels through Revelation is that the Bible teaches us 
that continuing in the faith is the test of the reality of faith. Continuing in the faith is the test of the reality of faith. This is a real warning. When he says this to us, he's not saying you can lose your salvation. But he's saying what Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make sure that you're saved. Those who are truly saved will find that the Holy Spirit will keep them in the faith. If you're truly saved, if you've been born again, the Holy Spirit will keep you in the faith. But get this, those who profess faith but do not possess faith will fall away. Did you hear the difference? There are many in Baptist church roles who profess faith, but they don't possess faith. There's been no change. Everything we said in verse 21 is still true of them. Everything we said in verse 22 is alien to them. They professed it, but they don't possess it. When you possess faith, it changes you. You're born again. 1 John 2, 19 speaks of this. He says, they went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would, not have, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That it might be plain that they were not of us. These were people who were in the church that left. They fell away. Why did they fall away? Not because they lost their salvation, because they never were really saved. They drifted. Now, I know this shakes us sometimes because we want to hear, if I pray that prayer, I'm safe. But I want you to hear what Paul is saying. We must look at our lives and into our hearts. Are we growing in the things of God? Are we becoming holy? Are we more and more blameless than we were before? Are we, are we living in that kind of life that we see in, in verse 22? Is it, is it true of us? Are we, are we growing? Look at what he says. You'll be stable and steadfast. Stable and steadfast. When you're saved, you're given a firm foundation. You're, you're planted on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And as we're planted on that rock, that foundation, that foundation is meant to be grown upon. We begin to settle in our faith. We begin to grow in him and get strong. And so when the storms come, we, we stand strong because we're in Christ. We, if we're saved, we, we don't shift with every wind of doctrine. When the winds blow, we stand strong with the hope that is there. The gospel that saves us keeps us saved. He said, well, how can I know? Well, here it is. Faith that has a root in the gospel bears fruit. Faith that has root bears fruit. Bears fruit. Has there been a change in your life? Does what you were describe what you are now more than what you were? When I talk about how we're changed, is that alien to you? Do you bear fruit? What needs to happen in your life today? If you're saved, the Holy Spirit will complete what he started. I want you to hear me. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm saying 
that when you're saved, the Spirit who saves you will complete it. Listen to Philippians 1.6. For I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. When you're saved, the Spirit begins to work in your life. And he grows in you. And he keeps you moving. And he keeps you growing. Now, we grow at different speeds. We grow at different rates. Lauren and Matt, are y'all here today? Um, Lauren and Matt Coward, I call them out, they're not here. Um, y'all know Huddy, their, their little son. Huddy's, um, he's about a month older than Sheppy, my grandson. But Sheppy's head comes up to Huddy's shoulders. Huddy's a head taller than him. We grow at different rates. Shepard and Rowan are two years apart. And Rowan almost weighs as much as Shepard does right now. We grow at different rates. We grow spiritually. But understand this. If there's no physical growth, there's something wrong. What do you do with a baby that doesn't grow physically? You bring it to the doctor. Something's wrong. And so I just want to ask you today, as we come to the Advent time, as we think about why Jesus came and that Jesus is coming again, I want to just be as honest as I can. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready to stand before God? Texts like this warn us. They warn us. The other night, um, Kim and I were sound asleep. It's about 1.30. I've got a new tool now that I, it's, a, it's, it's not my friend, but it's called a CPAP machine, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And Kim says I don't snore anymore, but, but man, I'm wrestling with it. But uh, I sleep, and I finally fell asleep with it, and I was sleeping good. I mean, I was out. And all of a sudden, I was awakened from my sleep with this loud alarm. And when I woke, I thought, my alarm's going off, my phone. And I'm reaching, and I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get it. And so I get up out of the bed. It's, I mean, it's so piercing. And, and, and Kim's over like, what in the world are you doing? And I think, well, it must be the CPAP machine. Something's wrong with the CPAP. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in the night, filling with it, trying to get it, and I'm out of it. And I said, Kim, I can't find it. And the alarm's going off the whole time. I can't find it. And I said, I got to turn the light on. So I turn the lamp on. And when I do, I go, house alarm. And so I run over, and sure enough, it's the house alarm going off. And, and, and I do what you're supposed to do. I grab my pistol, and I walk through the house. And, 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 and nothing's wrong. Every door is locked. Every window's locked. And, and, and I think the back window wind just blew the back door a little bit and set it off. I was a warning in the middle of the night. I, I said, Kim, um, they didn't call. The alarm company didn't call. And I went back to bed. We reset it. And about 30 minutes later, St. Clair County Sheriff's Department was there. I can't even remember the police officer's deputy's name. And I thanked him for coming to tell him what happened. I saw Billy Murray the next day. And I said, Sheriff, at least I know this. I got to fight anybody off for 30 minutes because you'll be there in 30 minutes. <laughs> And he started laughing, but 
I say all that to say to you, it was a warning in the middle of the night. God gives us warnings sometimes. He gives us wake-up calls. I never try to scare you, and it's not my intent, but my question is, are you ready? There's a clear definition in Scripture between those who are in Christ and those who aren't. And ultimately, it comes down to, have you repented? And are you repenting? Have you placed faith in Christ? And are you still acting on that faith? Have you borne fruit? And are you bearing fruit? Salvation is a continuous thing, a continuous growth until we're glorified. Amen? I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads for a moment. Ultimately, you'll know if you've been born again by one simple thing. Hear me clearly. Does the Holy Spirit of God live inside of you? If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you've been born again. Romans 8 tells us very clearly, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Do you have the Spirit inside of you? And again, I've said this many times to you, and you know it. You say, well, how will I know? And I'd say, how can the Spirit of living God live in you and you not know it? The Spirit of God convicts us when we sin. He urges us to do right. He leads us and he guides us and he grows us. So I would ask you, are you growing? Are you growing in him? Father, you know the needs that we have. You know what we should do today. You know those who profess faith but don't possess it. You know those who've possessed it. There are those in this room who prayed to receive you when they were young and they've never strayed. They've had their moments, but they have hung on to you and they're still growing. So we know that you can save young children and we know that you can save old adults and we know that you can save everyone in between. I just pray that you would help us to know that we're truly saved and let us see the evidence of fruit in our life. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, there's not as much space here as we have in the other service, but if you want to come and pray, there's plenty of places for you to come and pray. Tim and I will be here. If you need to talk to us, we'll be happy to meet with you and talk to you. But let's stand together. You do what God's calling you to do today.
seated just for a second. I, I'm not going to keep you long. I prayed a prayer when I was about five years old. I came forward in a church at First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. And a man that I dearly loved, Kim and I, both had him as pastor. He was supposed to do our wedding and died before he could. Dr. Altman led me in some kind of prayer. I don't even remember it. I was baptized. But for the next 10, 15 years, I lived like the world. I knew I was lost. I knew I was lost. Every retreat we would go to, I, I felt the Spirit tell me, you're lost. And, and then I'd let the devil say, you're, you're not lost. You prayed a prayer. You're good. Right before my 19th birthday, I asked Jesus to come into my life. When I was born again, the difference is like a car with gas. I could do what I was supposed to do. The Spirit came inside of me. Now, my wife, Kim, was saved at an early age. And the Spirit came inside of her, and she's lived that life. I would give anything for her testimony. I'd give anything. But the reason I won't just leave it alone is because you may be one who's been baptized and you know that you're lost. And you'll let pride go straight to hell. And I don't want that of you. I, I want you to, to know that you're saved. And you can. There are times still that the devil messes with me. I was reading Jonathan Edwards and reading about hell. And I found myself in my study on my face pleading with God, God, if somehow I'm not saved, save me. That's just a pastor. And the Holy Spirit said, sir, I'm in you. You know you're saved. So I just want to share that with you. And as we think about the cost, Judson paid a great cost to get the gospel to Burma, didn't he? We steal fruit of it today. We have a sister today sitting next to Hannah, between Hannah and Kennedy, who's from Burma. And um, when I was in Malaysia last, I, I met many of people who came from your country as refugees, and, and we're praying for your people, and she's now here. I don't know how, I, I want to hear your story one day of how God got her from Burma to here. But we're so glad you're here today. We're so glad that God's kept you safe and, and got you here. And she's about to start a sushi restaurant, right? So we need to take care of sushi restaurants, all right? And make sure. I'm glad you're here. Welcome from Burma. Welcome to all of you. We love you. We're glad you're here. I'm not going to do a lot of handshaking today. You don't want to shake my hands. I've been coughing like crazy. It's bronchitis. I've got shots and I'm on antibiotics, but um, you don't want to shake my hands. So ushers, if you would go to the doors. Um, we have two. We need... Can we get two more ushers? Come on, guys. Wake up back there. Let's go.
Here we come. They fell asleep back there. No, they didn't. Come on. If we can get two at these doors, and then that way you can give, just give to the, to the general budget and also to our, to our um, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We're glad you're here. Greet one another. We're glad you're here. See you son, this coming Sunday, the next Sunday morning. I don't, there's anything else going on? No, 930 in the NPR next Sunday. God bless you. Take care.